Welcome to the inaugural podcast for Smoke and Mirror, a documentary film about how barbecue reflects America. I'm your host, Christopher Tidmore, and you may have noticed that barbecue is having a moment in our country, or at least it was, until we pressed pause for the pandemic. But it's still with us on TV and in hundreds of competitions, restaurants, and of course, backyards around the country. Given the historic role that barbecue plays in American culture, how it's part of our soul, especially here in the South, we're coming to you from the State's Item Studio in New Orleans and wanted to explore just what barbecue tells us about ourselves. So we set out to make a movie about competitive barbecue. But we learned something that beyond the personalities, the contests, the regional debates, there was a complex story that wasn't being told. Everywhere we turned, we found controversies, big and small, starting with not just what barbecue is, but where it came from, what are its origins, how it shows the conflicts of race, cultural disagreements over meat, food production, even where our barbecue comes from. Here's a spoiler alert, folks. Farmers will tell you it doesn't originate at the grocery store. With so many endeavors these days, the production of Smoke and Mirror has paused because of the coronavirus. We'll resume when things approach normal, but in the meantime, we'll be sharing some of what we learned, including film clips. And yes, they include Kermit Ruffins at our website, smokeandmirrormovie.com. But they're also in this podcast, and that gets into the essence of what we wanted to talk about. Barbecue today seems like a ubiquitous idea in America. It's the idea of who we are. And at the same time, it's something that's kind of under siege. There are court cases going on that we'll talk about in future podcasts, but there are also the idea of what is barbecue. And it turns out barbecue is not only uh, elemental to America, it's elemental to the African-American experience and their connections to the Native Americans who created it. And on today's program, in our inaugural edition, we're going to be hearing clips from the barbecue swinger himself, Kermit Ruffins, the famous jazz musician, from also Liz Williams, the director of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum the past director, who is going to talk about sort of the history of the barbecue. But more importantly, to look at barbecue, in my view, you have to look at it from the standpoint of an outsider. And what could be more of an outsider than a former BBC film director who has come to America? He's been here for many years now at this point, but he came into this sort of alien barbecue culture coming into North Carolina in the South. And Ray Breslin, you've spent years covering things in America, but you still are at the same time, being able to look at this with fresh eyes. And I want to welcome you to our inaugural podcast. And Ray, what was your first experience with barbecue and as it comes through as part of defining America? Well, good morning, everyone. Oh, good day. Uh, well, first of all, let me make one correction. I was not trained as a BBC director. I was trained as a BBC director of photography. Oh, okay. My apologies. Known, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Probably known as a cameraman. Um, <laughs> my introduction to barbecue because we did not have barbecue in the, in, in the UK uh, when I left to come here to the United States in 1968. It was an, it was an anathema. That was an American thing. When I came to America and I formed my company, my sound recordist, coincidentally, was a North Carolinian, Douglas McCash. And he invited me over to his house one day in Alexandria, Virginia, for a barbecue. And I thought, oh, this is going to be brilliant. I go to his house and I see him digging up dirt in his back garden, and he has cooked a pig in the ground. And I'm thinking, this is barbaric. But it turned out to be absolutely spectacular. Now, he had taken 14 hours to cook it. He had basted it with a form of vinegar 
concoction. So we had the beans, the coleslaw, and this just amazing uh, crackling from the skin. And that was my introduction, and I've loved it ever since. And I've got to yeah. say that, as, as we'll bring on Liz Williams to describe this in just a second, it is something that is a very key experience for Americans. It dates back to the Native Americans, African Americans truly embrace this experience. But let's talk about going back a, a little over a year when we started doing this documentary, A Smoke and Mirror, How Barbecue Reflects America. And of course, you can find these clips that we're going to be playing much longer in video and actually see parts of this documentary by going to smokeandmirrormovie.com, smokeandmirror, no S, smokeandmirrormovie.com, and Ray's incredible cinematography. But you were approached, you've done all these high-end documentaries and film crews and all this, and they come to you and say, we want to film something about barbecue. What was your reaction in all of this? Well, actually, I took a step back, took a gulp and thought, well, how do you do this, considering the Cooking Channel has done innumerable films with, quote, celebrity chefs doing their form of barbecue in a studio and or on the road? And that's, by, that's been my view of barbecue that way. But having traveled America it, on, for the last 50 years, I've had barbecue in the states that regard themselves as barbecue state, North Carolina, Virginia, Kansas, Texas, um, Louisiana, and other places, and even luau's in Hawaii. And so I've, I've experienced all these different types of barbecue, and they've all been different, they've all been fun, uh, but they've all been incredibly tasty, but I never knew the history. Uh, having started on this, uh, as Christopher just says, about a year ago, and we've gleaned and leached all this information. It's actually been fascinating to realize where it came from, barbecue, and where it, where it is now, and how divisive it is in this country when it comes to one type of uh, barbecue with vinegar or vinegar uh, <laughs> alternates and tomato sauce and, and these, of course, beef. And these are fighting words, of course, when it comes to barbecues. As we'll bring in Liz Williams as to how uh, barbecue began, I want to get your reaction because you filmed the sequence beautifully at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. But let's start off how you ended up filming uh, the crux of what becomes this documentary in New Orleans. And it had to do with something that no one had ever actually heard of that I had ever known, people who knew about barbecue, that the first international barbecue master's competition was happening in New Orleans. So talk a little bit about that, if you could, and how you got down here in the first place. Well, to, to shorten the story, we had filmed many events uh, and barbecue facilities, especially in North Carolina, uh, mainly North Carolina and a couple in uh, uh, South Carolina which was a preliminary to the world championship in New Orleans. So to go to New Orleans, uh, we, we went down there and we went to an old NASCAR facility about 10, 15 miles outside, a rather plain concrete slab uh, where there were all these... Outside of I West Wego, for uh, those that are that, that is in, West, in New Orleans. Yes, in New Orleans. And there were about 20 or so different little tents and mobile homes of people doing their thing. And right in the middle was a marquee for the adjudicators, uh, the experts. And at one time we were told we couldn't go in and film it, but we discussed that and it worked out. And from that, at certain times, people a bell would ring and people would bring their particular offerings to the adjudicators. And, of course, it was done like a placebo. No one knew who any one particular person was. And they brought them in for adjudication. 
and the adjudicators went through all the different processes with the different types of cooking, and which we filmed extensively. And of course, at the end of the day, days, a winner came to Ford. It happened to be a husband and wife team from a area in Texas called, uh, let me see, it called Welsaco, uh, which is near, <laughs> I think it's pronounced that, Welsaco, uh, which is near um, Brownsville, Texas. And that's how we got into New Orleans before uh, we did the rest of the filming there. Well, yes. and, and this is what came in because... We're coming into New Orleans. We filmed some stuff in North Carolina that we'll talk about in a future podcast. And we've been around the country. But coming into New Orleans, this is my home turf for those that don't know. I'm from New Orleans. We wanted to get what the essence and the feeling of the culture of barbecue was. And and um, this is one of the crux. One of the misconceptions of barbecue, and let's we can do this, is that it's sort of a white thing. And if you'll forgive a white redneck thing. Where originally it really wasn't, and that's and I wanted to get your reaction on this because you you get in the middle of the cultural aspect and met a man by the name of Kermit Ruffins. Uh, I'm going to back up one moment. Uh, I was because I had barbecue prior to working on this film around the states. My first introduction really was in Selma, Alabama, in the early seventies, where I had I went to an all black. Uh, wow restaurant on the other side of the railway tracks in Selma, Alabama, and we were the only white people there. This is a film crew. And we didn't go there to film. We went there to eat because it was recommended by the doorman at the hotel. And it was absolutely spectacular. And all these African-American families were there around these bench chairs. And it was, they were all very nice. The food was spectacular. I think if I vaguely remember, we paid two and a half dollars for a very sumptuous <laughs> including cornbread, uh, which, of course, was all locally made there. And so I had seen African-Americans do it on site in their home areas, but I don't remember other places I went to because we never really saw the chef doing the cooking. It was done in an area, as always, with a restaurant behind a wall somewhere or another. So let's set this uh, other, so let's... Other than that, Christopher, I agree with you. I always thought it was a white food. And and yes. so and so let's set this. So you you fly in. You, we, we go to dinner, and I tell you, okay, I've I've went on. I've set it up with this guy Kermit Ruffins. Um, you know, and you're a jazz musician, okay. Um, but what do you mean? And so I'm taking you to a place called the Mother-in-Law Lounge. Give me your impressions. And ultimately, you were so impressed by this. Talk about this that you had a drone fly over the mother-in-law lounge and practically through the doors and up and down the treme to describe what you were seeing. And that's what we have in the well, clip. Yeah. Well, my, um, I have a great fondness for New Orleans, having done extensive filming with the Preservation Jazz yeah. in New Orleans for PBS. When we went to Kirby Ruffin's restaurant, it was, a, it was just a mind-blowing place because it was what you expected from a small hole in the wall, and that's not an insult, little a bar restaurant uh, with nightly jazz with this very dynamic man, Kermit Ruffin. Uh, and so when we were asked, we got permission to film there uh, with a few parameters. Uh, I decided visually to start it from the outside, coming over the highway and bringing a drone. Hopefully I was going to bring the drone into the building, but for technical reasons, it didn't happen. So that shot does appear. Then it cuts to inside. And, of course, you'll see the music sequence uh, in a very tight surroundings. Um, 
everybody getting very hot and sweaty. And But it was just exhilarating and your blood sort of got to a pulse because you got involved with it because that's how he, as a jazz musician of note, makes you feel. You want to tap your shoes and get into it. I'm just, just because I'm holding a camera, there are two cameras running, by the way. The other cameraman did a great job. Um, uh, once you get into it, you get into a, a rhythm and you just make it work. And at the same time, uh, and I don't know if you want me to speak about this, Chris, but at the same time, earlier on in the day, well, I, I, do, I, had, want, I, I want to talk oh, about sorry. that because early, I want All to get right. your reactions after the clip. So what I've done okay. is right. on the website, it's smokeandmirrormovie.com, no S, smokeandmirrormovie.com. You can watch the entire six-minute clip of the drone coming in. What we've got is about a minute of essentially Ray's audio coming in hearing Kermit, and then talking about Kermit, what barbecue means to the African-American community. And I want, um, I want you to hear this clip, this, this, this minute, minute, and 10 seconds, and then give us your impressions, because this is the time where you're connecting with the culture, Ray, and you're trying to figure out how to tell this in a movie. And if we can, ladies and gentlemen, this is an introduction to Kermit Ruffins and his mother-in-law lounge. of the oldest black neighborhood in America, the Trimie neighborhood. Guy named Claude Trimie, if I'm not mistaken, he started selling his land to all the free people. And they started to build what they call the Trimie neighborhood, after his last name, of course. And we're like downtown New Orleans, not far from the French Quarters, which is right over there. Not far from the Lower Ninth Ward, which is right over there. I mean, we're just five minutes away from everything when it comes down to New Orleans. Have you ever been to New Orleans? It's the hottest city that you ever see. In terms of the African-American culture here in New Orleans, when it comes down to barbecue, I mean, in my heart, I believe we're the best. We'll try anything. I mean, the cuisine here, between the French, the Africans, and the Spanish, I mean, everybody that's here created this great flavor of food and music is totally incredible anywhere else in the world. I mean, there's nowhere in the world you can go somewhere and get gumbo, which is a mixture of everything. Jambalaya, Creole spaghetti, burl shrimps, and burl crabs, and burl crawfish. You know, I mean, on any given day, at about 70 different restaurants, are just shawbarrow oysters, or raw oysters. It's incredible the way we have the food and culture and music in this one little small town. You gotta love that barbecue way down south in New Orleans. And so uh, what you've seen at smokeandmirrormovie.com is uh, in that clip, a drone going around over the mother-in-law lounge, almost coming through the door. And then you see Kermit playing and then going into not only talking about barbecue, but actually demonstrating how he does it. Um, and he's making a meatloaf. He's doing a whole bunch of stuff. And Ray, Ray Benson, you were, you're trying to figure out how to film this. 
and Kermit's just such a jovial person. I'm curious how, how you were setting this up, because I was watching it. It was absolutely fascinating how you decided to catch the smoke, the fire, the energy, but also the joy of the moment. Can you talk about that? Well, as you know, a lot of filming, I shouldn't say, you know, because we don't know. Uh, it's very spontaneous, because the person doing it, in this case Kermit, is such a gregarious individual. You just have to keep the cameras rolling, wide shot, tight shots, following his hands and just listening to him because you've got to be careful you don't miss something and in some cases a third camera is wonderful but you don't always have the opportunity so in the case of kermit we had to repeat a few things so we could get them as what we call cutaways which is what you do in filming all the time you start with a master shot of everything he's doing and then you ask him to repeat it in close-up so you see his hands. So at one time, you see him doing this wonderful meatloaf of where he's putting eggs in the middle, which turns out to be the New Orleans way. I've never seen that done with meatloaf. He had his sausages already cooking on his pit. He then put the brisket in, of course, which took I don't know, uh, took quite a few hours to cook. And he is just talking all the time about his flavoring and, or, and everything else. And... That's it. It was it. You do it. It's basically what we call one-to-one filming. You just have to get it because you can't always repeat it. Unlike a feature film or commercial where they rehearse and they rehearse, some things are spontaneous. Like news, it only happens once, and you really can't revisit it. In the case of cooking, it was it was it was very spontaneous, and you really never knew what he was going to do next because we never had a chance to see him do it prior to us filming. So in this case, we just ran and ran and ran. We didn't repeat anything, and that's how it works. I should say the editor who will have all this material will make it work beautifully because we give them enough material to make it work. And Kermit's words will be laid over the top, called VO, voiceover, to make those sequences magic. And they are magic at smokeandmirrormovie.com. It is absolutely brilliant. Unlike all the interviews we've done on this program, which are very very organized and and structured, all the other sequences are very spontaneous. We never knew what was going to happen, so we just ran with it. A lot of times we just had a camera, one camera, of which we never asked anybody to repeat anything, which is unusual in uh, documentaries of this type. And it worked. Or as I said a while ago, the editor is the one who's going to get all this material. And there's a lot. And they're going to clean it down and make it work over voiceover, music, or whatever uh, the final edit looks like. And this is the fun of doing these type of films. You never know how the end result is because there's, there's a structure, but the structure is loose because it's made to be that way because you're dealing with people who have never been on camera before, most of them, and it works that way. And it, it, should look, it shouldn't come out being amateurish uh, in any way, but sometimes it comes over that way because the people are not used to being on camera. And I have to say, there was one moment that it was perfect. You were right over Kermit's uh, shoulder filming him in, this, in the most beautiful um, uh, riff on, uh, on his trumpet, and it com- and it, and the film it comes off, but it's like it, it, you were standing right over Kermit, and poor Kermit's like, "What am I doing here?" And it really it really comes out to beautiful yeah, cinematography. Yes, yes. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. You must see it at smokeandmirrormovie dot com. In filming music, uh, other than orchestras where you have multiple cameras, when it comes to jazz or certain music, it is once again like doing the cooking. It's spontaneous. You literally have to get in their face 
without interrupting them playing the instrument or singing to get those angles which make it move for the audience at home and or in the audience actually watching us filming um, to get the feeling in Kermit's case he had been filmed many times before so although it may look like I had a camera up his ear he was used to it although it made it seem to be odd and with Kermit Ruffins, we spend a day and then we go to between filming what's going on at the international competition, you go to the Southern Food and Beverage Museum and you're filming Liz Williams and you're filming this talking about the history of barbecue and looking at an actual pit in which you put the the pigs that would play a piece of that clip and you get a sense of what the history of barbecue is as it comes into the American experience, but also how different the filming is from what was going on with Kermit. I'm Liz Williams, and we're here at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Barbecue comes from the word barbacoa, which was the description of what the native people were doing with food over open fire that was placed on a grill that was usually made out of wet sticks. And that, of course, caused smoking as well as being a place to place the food. And from that, it grew in its popularity here in the South especially. You have all the people who came here who were cooking over open fires. And then as you began to increase the size of the animals that you were cooking, then it became something that happened overnight so that it was available for the next day. And then that caused all the cultural components that grew up around it so that you have people spending the night together, telling stories, singing, drinking, doing whatever they're doing as a part of actually transmitting civilization and heritage from one generation to the next. We know that it is the African-American who actually carried barbecue forward. I think that in terms of competition today and things like that, there are lots and lots of other people who are involved in barbecue, but in terms of the tradition of barbecue, that is absolutely rooted in the African-Americans. It's really terrible that so many barbecue joints have been closing and, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. It's grueling work and people get older and the next generation might still love to eat barbecue but doesn't want to cook barbecue and run that barbecue stand and all of that sort of thing. So I think you see then a real appreciation of something that people are anticipating losing. Liz Williams' interview at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum gives you a sort of a perspective of the different type of filming that Ray's team was doing when they went there and some of the other locations. And it's sort of a, a switch in perspective, attitude, and style, isn't it, Ray Reslin? To transition from an action sequence, as the jazz sequence was a lot of action, to where you do a formal interview, you just switch off in your head that you're going to be doing an interview, uh, which there will be cutaways, cutaways meaning you're going to share, show something which that person is going to be talking about. Going from a sequence, of music in the case of jazz which is exciting there's a lot of movement a lot of action then going from that to something which is a little more sedate 
as a sit-down interview is and should be, very formal, is not difficult. You just have to switch it off on your head that it's going to be a single ter- person talking to you about something that they are extremely knowledgeable on, of which during the interview you'll be cutting away, which means you're going to other sequences of which he's referencing something which you will show, which doesn't take much because we do it all the time. And unlike Kermit, you don't, re- you don't rehearse an interview, you may go back and ask some of the questions again to get a greater, um, a, f- a fuller answer. But other than that, you never, re- you never rehearse interviews. It's not a feature film or a television show. And I want to talk, you, you, you basically were doing these interviews all over the country. You were doing this in North Carolina and South Carolina and Texas and all this. And what, what are you learning in the process of, of taking all this footage? What, what, what impressions are you done, not just about barbecue, but about Americana in the midst of all of this? Well, the first thing you learn, you learn from the individuals, in the case of Texas with a couple, you learn about their lifestyle, about the sociology of that part of remote part of Texas, and it's always opening vo- uh, the gaps you thought you you, become, you realize how ignorant you are. In the case of the Texas with the Robles, um, we were geographically in a remote part of Texas, and it's a long way from nowhere. You learn that uh, the ethnicity of their area, their culture, and why they do what they do, and you learn about Americana in that respect. When we go to, in this case, New Louisiana, I had been fortunate, I've been there many times before, you learn, really learn a lot about history of America, the French, the Spanish culture, um, and why it is what it is, especially the music, uh, which goes back obviously uh, 100 years or maybe more. And then when you come to the Carolinas, South Carolina, North Carolina, you learn more of the European influence here and the black influence, especially African-American. It's very, very ingrained. They may have their differences. They're here all the time. But when it comes to barbecue, it doesn't cross a line. Barbecue is barbecue. It's a common factor. And, I think, and it's just a matter how, how they cook it. And I think that's one thing Liz Williams makes in her clip. She said, this is the one continuous line of Americana. It starts off, um, as she explains, with Native Americans is adopted by African Americans and becomes a common cultural theme across America, which is sort of the underpinning idea of this documentary. Can you talk about that? Yes. I mean, one of the most obvious things you notice, if you go into an all-black barbecue, genuine barbecue, as we have done, the number of white Americans uh, across the board in suits and ties or in their Levi's uh, come in and they are enjoying what they're eating, and they mix with everybody across the table. They'll sit at the table, then it, it is like a common denominator. The food opens the door. And we've seen that all over the place. Barbecue, in this respect, just seems to open the door of cultural awareness where no one gives a hoot if you're black, white, pink, or green. It is there. They- and to be enjoyed... The only color they seem to argue about is the color of, of whatever topping you're putting on upon the barbecue, whether it's the vinegar or that, barbecue sauce or what have you. Yeah, and, 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 and the intensity of the store of the sauce. You're absolutely right. Um, yes, absolutely. Any final thoughts, Ray Breslin, uh, about what you've learned? And of course, we'll be posting new clips every week on this documentary because of the coronavirus, ladies and gentlemen. We had planned on having this, the first screenings of this documentary in the last couple of weeks. That's been delayed as post-production. But as this is going on at smokeandmirrormovie.com, we'll be presenting the different clips that Ray has filmed over the past year. 
and what we've learned on the progression of barbecue and the controversy behind it. And any final thoughts about having spent your, uh, the last year working on this project, what you've learned? What I've learned so far, and this project is not over, though I think there are a few more things to film, is that one, geographically having been to four or five states on this, is that certain foods literally bring people together. And barbecue, from my point of view, my crew's point of view, uh, those who've traveled with me or those I picked up, it just seems to make people happy. And it's a, it's a, it's a food of discussion because obviously one state or one geographic part of the country, do it differently with vinegar or tomato. You have pork, you have beef. And that's obviously a great, you know, that's a great divide who does better. That's, and these competitions, in this case, the one in New Orleans, proved in this case that beef next year, hopefully it'll be pork. <laughs> but from my point of view as a cinematographer, a filmmaker, it's been fun. And I've learned that a lot of really good people across the board are involved in this be they restaurateurs, people in little backwood rural areas, um, just enjoy what they're doing and they enjoy their customers. Ray Breslin, it is, uh, been, it. it's been a privilege having you on the air on our first inaugural podcast. Come see uh, some of Ray's footage at smokeandmirrormovie.com and it'll be posted every week and we'll uh, continue this conversation about the impact of barbecue over the next several months. Ray, thank you for joining us. More than welcome. If I can help again, let me know. I will. Thank you. Take Thank care. You Bye. 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 Bye.